Today I want to talk to you from this passage. I have spoken from this passage. As a matter of fact, I spoke from it a year ago. I've spoken from it a few years ago. We come back to it again today because I see a whole different thought I want to give to you about this passage that is just so relevant and so real for us where we talk about leaving a lasting legacy in the world in which we live. Leaving a lasting legacy in the world in which we live. You know, every one of us has the opportunity to influence somebody else. We have an opportunity to make something of ourselves and to be able to do something very good. Let me give to you an example of this. A number of years ago, when I was having health issues, I would go down here to Riverside Clinic. You know what that is? Just down there in Tricler, just past Tricler, Riverside Clinic. And I would go in there and, and I looked around and I said, oh shoot, I know almost everybody in here because most of them come to the church. And so they're all going to know all of my health because and, and everything about me. It's going to be wild. So I looked around in there and I thought, hmm. And then some time passed and, and, uh, and Lorraine Gundrum, who oversaw the office there and worked between the doctors and the nurses, she oversaw that. Uh, she became available to us at the church, uh, not because they were getting rid of her because they didn't want to get rid of her, but because it just worked out in God's providence, you know, God leads us along and, and he led her to an opportunity to come work up here. For the last number of years, Lorraine has worked up here at Bethany Wesleyan Church in the office as one of our uh, leading secretaries and administrator. And she worked with Ken when this building was built and, and when we were doing this, we had Ken do a lot of the oversight and, and go between with us and another company. And so she worked closely with him. She, she would go work out all of our insurance details because she understood that. She also has worked with the lawyers because we've had law office issues, you know, got to make sure you're doing things right and documents and stuff like that. She's been able to do that. But you know something else I noticed about her? Many, many young people in this church, particularly young ladies, they would gravitate toward her. And they would ask her her opinion on stuff. And they would go to her in, in confidence and share whatever it is that they would share with her and ask her to pray for them. And you know what she would do? She would pray for them. She would speak truth in love to them. And she would gird them up and build them up. Now today is not Lorraine's funeral, I thank God for that. She's sitting right back there, as a matter of fact, in this service. So this is not some kind of a roast or something like that. But I want to tell you this, she is one of the leading people in this church because she chose to put her own agenda aside and allow God to work through her, and she has become one of the most incredible examples of Christian love in this church. And it's beautiful to see. Whatever she did before that was important and, and great. But what she has done in this last 20 years has been nothing short of legacy building. She is leaving a God-centered legacy here that no one can question because her integrity is spot on. Amen. And that can be said of a number of people across this congregation. I didn't make that up. She's lived it out. I just told you what I saw. Moses was talking to the people here, and he says, I want to talk to you. And he's talking to the nation. And he says, I want you to understand what I am saying to you because I'm talking to you about how you should live in a world that is crazy, in a world that is, that is, that is sometimes misunderstood. And he says, I'm going to give you these truths about God that show you how to live a devoted life before God in this chaotic world. 
So he gives us these truths about God. And the first one he gives, if you're ready for it, say yes. If you're ready for it, say yes. yes. He gives his first one. He says, remember God's blessing. Look at verses 10 and 12 of your Bible, or if your app is open, just look at it there. In our human weakness, we tend to take credit for everything we do. We tend, if we're not careful, to depend on our own wisdom, our own strength. You say, but Kev, that would never happen to me. Well, here's what we need to do once in a while, perhaps, is listen to our own self in a conversation. When we listen to our own self, we use that personal pronoun, I, if we use that very much, we're probably either explaining something, defending something, sharing our own opinion, but very often what we're doing is we're trying to make sure that you value me as much as I value me or think you need to value me. And so Moses said, whenever you're doing this, you need to understand that it is God who has given you this ability and given you this opportunity. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 17 and 18. Then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand has gained me this wealth. I did all of this. Have you ever felt that way? I did all of this. He said, no, 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 no. He said, you need to remember the Lord your God. It is he who gives you power to get wealth. Now there was a little frog on a farm who was hanging out in the lily pads in the pond. And while he was hanging out in a lily pad, he looked up and he sees geese flying by. And there are a couple of them. And pretty soon they land in the little pond next to him. And he looks at him and he says, hey, I've got an idea. You see that stick? Why don't one of you grab one end of that stick and the other one you grab the other end of that stick and I'll grab hold of the middle and I'll be able to fly like you can fly. And he was so excited because he always wanted to fly. And the geese said, we've got nothing better to do. So one grabbed one end, one grabbed the other. Frog jumped hold, grabbed hold with his mouth on the middle. And they're flying around the farm having a big old time. You heard that, right? They're flying around having a big old time. And one of the farm animals looks up and says, wow. Another one looks up and says, oh my, never seen a frog fly. Hey, whose idea was that? And the frog says, mine, splat. Isn't that crazy? Look at verse 10. God led them to abundance. God protected them. God gave them this wonderful land. God blessed them with many conveniences already in place. They were able to go into a place that already had the city set up. Now, I studied out what, it, what does it mean to have a city one of the things it was saying was they already had these buildings that are one and two levels, three and four rooms. We're talking ancient, ancient times. They've already got a city prepared. Nobody living in them. You can just walk in. It's turnkey, baby. It's a turnkey. You can just walk. It's all ready for you. You also have wells that you didn't drill, dig, nothing. They're already there and you can get water. This is powerful stuff. You have vineyards you didn't plant, you didn't tend, but they're already producing. So you can get anything you want. They've got the grapes, they've got the olives, they got all of this stuff going on, right? They have it all. And in Psalm 37, verse three, it says there, dwell in the land, David says, in the land and feed on the faithfulness of God. 
Many of us did nothing to create what is happening in America, but yet the, the situation is like David said, dwell in the land and feed on the faithfulness of God. That's what we've been doing. We've been feeding on the faithfulness of God right here in this land of America. It is because God has allowed us to experience the blessings and we want to remember the blessings. Now, God has given us blessings in good times, and God has given us blessings as we've gone through tough times. God has provided all kinds of blessings for all of us. Can I get a witness in the house somewhere today? God has provided these blessings for us, and he has been there in good times, and he has been there in tough times. Don and Laura Moen. Don is a songwriter. A number of you have sung some of his music, no doubt. They were awakened in the middle of the night when Laura's mother called and said Susan, Laura's sister, and her husband Craig were in a very bad accident. They had four children, the oldest of which was eight. He was killed, and then the other three were severely injured, and they're in the hospital. And they get this call about three o'clock in the morning. When they get this call, they're absolutely devastated. And as they're absolutely devastated, what do you do? They started praying, and they said, God, you have got to help us. God, you have got to remember us. God, you have got to do something to help our family. Susan, Craig, and the boys, some way, God. And through that night of complete shock and pain and angst, Don said God began to help him see that through the tragedy, he could even work. And gave him these words to a song. God will make a way when there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. He'll make a way for me. He will be my guide. Hold me closely to his side. With love and strength for each new day, he will make a way. You see, God will make a way. It's a sovereign involvement in our lives. So no matter what's going on today, we need to remember the blessings of God. And then Moses says, if you want to leave a great legacy, you need to remember God's word. Look at verse 20 through 25. Really early on, verse 6, it talked to the people and said this, Moses did. He said, hey, you need to have the word of God on the phylacteries, that is the areas of your, of your garments around your wrists. You need to be able to have it in the, in the, on your forehead. So you can even see Orthodox Jews today with little boxes up here that they would have that are leather strap boxes where the scripture is. If you've gone into a Jewish person's home, you can see above their door. Very often they'll have a little box and you say, what's that? And it's a box that contains scriptures in it. Moses said, put the scriptures on the doorpost. That's what they're doing. All the way back, thousands of years ago, that's exactly why they're doing what they're doing. And then put the scriptures around and put your scriptures on your forehead. But the problem was they weren't putting the word of God in their heart. You can have the word of God embroidered all over the place. You can have Bibles sitting around all over the place. But if you don't have the word of God in your heart, in Psalm 119, David says it this way, verse 11, your word, God, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. I put it down in my heart that I might be able to live by it. Another place he says this, your word is this lamp to my feet. That's my next step. It is my light. That is my future step to my path. It is your word that is that. He says here to them in verses 10 through 12, remember God when you hit easy street, when you've got the six-figure income, the big house, the big car, when you've got the bank account that's fat, when you've got enough clothes and enough food going on, he says, remember, remember God when you have all that happen because if you forget God, you're going to hit some hard times because you have chosen to forget him. 
And then in verse 13, it says, put God's word down into your heart. And why does he want that happening? He says, God's word will guide you when you hear false teaching. When you run against some kind of teaching in college or at high school or junior high or on your job or in a Bible study or a pastor preaches it, when you hear that kind of stuff, there's something that sends up of this isn't right inside of you. You need to listen to that and let God minister into your heart based on that. Verse 16, keep God's word so that you will be able to work through the awkward spots of your life. Sometimes there have been things that are awkward about our lives or in our past. Maybe there is some sin that we have committed and we're embarrassed about it. It reminds me of the story I heard about the priest in the Philippines who was worried about something he had done way back in his life. And he really was trying to get his heart clear of this. And he was trying to get peace in his mind. And there was a lady in his church who was a parishioner who prayed a lot. And many said she talked to Jesus. So he went to her and he said, I want you to talk to Jesus. I'm not going to tell you what I did. I want you to talk to Jesus and ask him to reveal to you what I did. And then what I want to happen is for you to tell me what he tells me to do about that thing back in the past so I can get peace in my mind. You know what? She was gone for a while. She prayed. She prayed. She prayed. She came back. <clears throat> the priest said, and what did God say? What did he say? And she said, Jesus says he doesn't remember that any longer. He doesn't hold it against you. You need to get on with your life. Where would she have heard that? That comes right out of the scripture. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions. God has cast our sins into the sea of forgetfulness, never to be brought against us anymore. Isn't that powerful? It's absolutely amazing what God will do. And it happens when we look into the word of God. Keep God's word, verse 18 says, so it'll go well with you. Verse 20, share God's word with your children, how he has so dramatically delivered you. We can sit there and complain about this and complain about that and complain, complain, complain. We can complain about everything if we want to, right? Because we want things to be better. So one of the traits of wanting things better is to complain about what isn't well so you can get it well. I, I get that. But at the same time, if we're not careful, we just sit around and we just, we just might bellyache about stuff. And we're never affirming anything. We're never excited about anything. I mean, I'm a Cardinal fan. So last night, I was excited when the Cardinals hit four runs in a row in the first inning against the Phillies. Don't tell anybody against the Phillies and hit a home run in the last inning to win the game against the Phillies. But it was a great win. I'm a Cardinal fan. I enjoyed that. And I don't know if that's God's blessing or not, but I sure enjoyed it. <clears throat> you know what I think is really cool to do is to be able to tell your kids and your family and your grandkids, you know, God loves you. You know, God will make a way for you. You know, God cares about what's happening in your life. You know, God knows where you are. Charles Stanley, Andy Stanley. You know, Charles, Pope of the South, Andy, Junior Pope of the South. <laughs> great preachers, great preachers, both of them. Charles Stanley said he taught his son, Andy. He said, my son would come to me with a problem. And he said, I would say to him invariably as he got older, what does God say about it? And Andy, recently in a seminar, was sharing about how he's able to work through some things in life. And he said, my dad taught me how to work through things. And he said, the way he taught me was, my dad always asked me, what does God's word say about it? And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the way you and I can walk through the situations of our life. 
And it's us telling our family about this kind of stuff. The psalmist writes this, and uh, David writes this in Psalm 119, verse 89 and following. He says, your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues, listen to this, through all generations. You establish the earth and it endures. Let me tell you what, God was good enough for your grandparents' generation. He's good enough for your generation. He's good enough for the next generation. As a matter of fact, the only constant has been God. He's the only one who has always been there and he always will be there. And this is a powerful truth that we can pass on to our family members. Verse 24, keep God's word so that you may prosper and live. Look at verse 25, keep living God's way because it is your righteousness. This is wonderful. Several years ago, I was in Pittsburgh to catch a connecting flight. And as I was in Pittsburgh, I was at a particular wing near my gate and there, were, there was not a lot going on there. It wasn't really that busy and I was kind of surprised, but I was hanging out. I had a while before my flight was, was to happen. And so I'm standing there and I'm looking around and all of a sudden I look over here and I see this guy and I think, I know that guy. And it ended up being Doug Oldham. Have you ever heard of Doug Oldham? Way back, he was here at this church. He used to sing for Jerry Falwell down at Lynchburg. You've heard of Oldham. And so I saw him and I thought, oh my stars, that's Doug Oldham. So I walked up to him, being the bashful person I am, and I walked up to him and I said, wow. I said, Doug Oldham. He looks at me and he says, and who are you? And I said, oh, I'm just a face in a crowd, not really that important but I want to thank you for your music. Well, I don't know if it makes much difference. I hope it does. Something to the effect, he said. And I said, yes, it does make a difference. It made a difference in my Uncle Albert, whose story was quite similar to yours. You see, this guy had big old marriage problems and had been a bit abusive, loud and intimidating to the kids some way. He used to sing a song, today I went back to the place where I used to go. And then it continues on, thanks to Calvary, we don't live there anymore. Transformation. And he told his story. And he said, well, I'm going to a Gaither gathering. I said, keep going. Don't stop. You're inspiring many people. And some of you right here in this room probably were inspired even as my uncle was and encouraged even as I have been through his music. We need to remember God's word, his transforming power, and tell somebody else about it. And then we need to remember God's place in verse 5. Look at this. Isaiah in the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, he's writing early in the chapter and he said, I saw God high and lifted up. He said his train filled the temple. And so he has this vision, this big room, and he sees God, he sees the train of his robe filling the temple, and he says, I see God. So he's not looking him right in the eye, he's seeing this temple, and he sees the angels flying around, they're saying, holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty. They're excited, and they're honoring God. He's high and lifted up, God's place. And then he, he looks at himself and he looks at the people around him. He said, wow, I live in a land of people with unclean lips. Our language isn't reflecting who we think we are in him. No, I, I, I've, I've got problems myself. And he says an angel goes over and on a fire with tongs grabs a live coal off of that, comes over to him, hits his lip, cleanses him. Fire, the Holy Spirit is fire. He comes with cleansing power. And so he comes and cleanses him that he might be able to go prophesy. And he gives words like, behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son. 
Or Isaiah 53 where he says, Jesus has no form or comeliness that we should desire him and talks about the crucifixion of Jesus. You see, it happened after he had seen God in his proper place. Moses went on the mountain, met with God, and while he was up on the mountain meeting with God, he comes back down and his face is glowing and the people say, Mo, we can't stand to look at you. No, we can't veil your face. And so he has to cover his face because the people can't stand to look at him because he's glowing so much. You read that, it's in your Bible. It's powerful, powerful. What place do you put God in your life? I don't know, but he needs to have a high place. And so Moses talks about it in verse five. Look at it here. It says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Sometimes in the scripture to talk about like, it, it would have been, it would have referred in biblical times in some of the times to your kidney or to your spleen or to your innards. And, but heart is what we understand in our culture. So love the Lord your God with all of your heart. That's the center of your essence of your being. With all of your soul, with all of your strength. This is what it is. Now leave that passage up on the screen there. But I want to go on down through Deuteronomy here real quick. If you have your Bible open, go to chapter 11, verse 1, and notice what it says there in, in verse 1. It says, love the Lord your God and keep his commandments or his requirements in chapter 11, verse 13. Love the Lord your God and serve him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. In chapter 11, 22, love the Lord your God, walk in obedience to him and hold fast to him. Deuteronomy 13 and three, the Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you love him with all of your heart and your soul. In Deuteronomy, it sounds like a broken record, doesn't it? Sounds like Moses got one string on a guitar. Chapter 19, verse nine, love the Lord your God and walk in his ways with obedience to him. Chapter 30 of Deuteronomy 16, love the Lord your God. Chapter 30, verse 12, and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. And you say, okay, Moses had kind of a one, one string message there. That's great. But look at the person that followed Moses. Go to Joshua chapter 22, verse five. Your Bible says this, be very careful to keep the commandment and the law that Moses, a servant of the Lord, gave you. Now, what did he give? Here he goes. To love the Lord your God and walk in obedience with him, to keep his commandments, to hold fast to him, and to serve him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. Chapter 23, the next chapter, verse 11. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. So you think, well, that's a nice Old Testament thing that God was trying to establish with the cultures of the early time. It, it, it's really great, but it doesn't stop there. You know that? It doesn't stop there. Nope, it doesn't. As a matter of fact, Jesus was talking one day, and in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 37, Jesus takes this and then he expands on it. Look what Jesus says. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Oh, it's the first one? Yeah. That's a summary, he's saying, of the commands, and here comes the rest. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. The first four Ten Commandments talk about your relationship with God. The last six talk about your relationship with others. Jesus summed them up in two, everybody say two, with two. And what he said was, you got to love God and you got to love your neighbor as yourself. You see that? Mark picked up his pen. He got all excited about it. The Holy Spirit was on him. He was, he was going for it. And he said, whoo, man, did you see what Jesus just said? And so he said, love the Lord your God. This is what Jesus said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, there's no commandment greater than these. Wow. <clears throat> Luke was hanging around and he heard about it. 
And he said, you know what? And he starts saying it in chapter 10, verse 27. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. I want to bring this message to a landing. If you're still awake, nod your head. I don't know if you're asleep or awake. <laughs> there are some people, <clears throat> there are some people that really affect their generation and really leave a legacy. They just do. Chuck Swindoll is one of those people who leaves a massive footprint in the life of Christianity during our generation. He's an old man now. Some of you maybe met him at Hackman's a few years ago. I heard him speak at Atlanta, in Atlanta, at a crusade. But many of us have heard him on the radio for years or read his writings. He wasn't always the renowned speaker that we know today. Chuck was a young man. He was in seminary. While in seminary, he was having school pressures financial pressures, his wife was pregnant, she was very sick because there was something wrong with the baby. They didn't know if the baby would die and they did not know if his wife would die. The bases were loaded, four big issues. His heart is very heavy, his life is still young, He's thinking about it. It's toward the evening one night, and he says, man, I've got to have some perspective. We've got to have some help. He went over to where some professors were. He, he, he thought they might be. He knocks nothing, knocks again nothing, knocks on another door. Nobody's answering. He sees a light on at the Greek professor's house, so he goes over there, and he knocks on the door. Chuck has tears streaming down his face, and he says, I hope I'm not disturbing you. The Greek professor said, you are disturbing me. And Chuck said, oh, I'm so sorry. And he turned to walk away, and the Greek professor shut the door. Now, Chuck has been a president of Dallas Theological Seminary, a radio voice on Insight for Living for decades, successful pastor in California, successful pastor now in Texas, and he said, though he has a high appreciation for education, he said, I've wondered from that day to this if God cares how much Greek we know. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. Haven't forgotten where I am. We're still with Chuck. It's night. He's walking away from a Greek professor's house. What to do? He ends up going home. He lays down, tries to get some sleep. The next day he gets up. The bases are still loaded. Four big problems staring him. His heart is heavy. He's walking across the campus, and there's a man he has not met yet, does not know really, who comes up to him, puts his arm around him, and said... Um, you look like you're having some problems. 
His name was Howard Hendricks. <laughs> Howard, if you have any idea of who that is, is kind of the grandpa of all the great pastors. And he put his arm around him and was walking along with him, and he said to him, he said, what's going on? And he unloaded the four bases right there. Howard said, you know, my wife and I had a miscarriage, and God made a way, and he carried us through, and God will make a way for you. Chuck said, that man had my heart from that day till this. I wanted to know what that man knew. I wanted to hear what that man would say. He became a great protege. Love God. Love your neighbors. Love yourself. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And I think if we do this and continue to do this, our light will shine brightly and people will see and they will want to know and God will make transforming presence power in their life because this is real. It's bigger than any one of us. It's incredibly awesome. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your intense love for us that while we were still sinners, you would die for us. You hung on the cross, laid down your life, and let us hear the invitation to join your team. Come to me, all who are weary and uh, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so, Lord, here we are today, tired from all the COVID journey we went through, frustrated with politics in our nation. Some maybe have had their lives changed drastically or dramatically at home or whatever's going on with them. So as a nation, we, we're just all boiled up. But Lord, we know that we can love you. We can love those people around us that you have as our neighbors. And you can help us learn to love ourselves too. Help us just to let our light shine in new ways. Trim the wick. Fill the oil. Do whatever's necessary. Clean the globe. And let you shine through us that you might be seen and you might make the difference. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.